I'm falling, I'm falling. Ah, come, somebody catch me, somebody catch me. Oh, I got a spider web. <laughs> I don't know what spider person I am. Do you know? You're the best one. Aw, no, you are. You're the spider person that watches all the K-dramas. <laughs> I don't know what your tragic backstory is. All of them. In, well... <laughs> like a K-drama protagonist, I am a plucky orphan. <laughs> um, I have 16 part-time jobs and a mean... Yeah, significant you know, Peter Parker basically is like a K-drama character. Yes. All right. With that said, I hope we give a preamble of slight uh, distinction there for the wages of cinema. Welcome back, guys. Um, I am uh, Spider Master Jack. I am Trash Panda Cory, or maybe I should be Trash Spider Cory for this episode. Yeah, it does whatever a Spider Cory can. <laughs> and I'm Spider Matt. Spider Matt. <laughs> With the power to Matt. Um, yeah, so we just got out of uh, the uh, new follow-up to um, Into the Spider-Verse called simply Across the Spider-Verse, uh, the latest in the animated Spider-Man movies. And uh, don't, first of all, don't let yourself think oh it's animation i uh, i know what to i'm, I'm not going to go see that <coughs> andrew <laughs> <laughs> so, hint someone who's not on this episode but we don't need to get into that um uh i but what i was gonna say is that this is a i don't know what that words to use i mean monumental innovative you know, earth-shattering, genre-defying, medium-pushing. <laughs> I was just... I, th this movie is uh, a miracle. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Good night, I everybody. love it. Good night, it's everybody. awesome. Go oh. see it immediately. <laughs> All right, no. Um, Matt, what did you think? I thought it was a metaphor for capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think about it. I mean, it. I'll have to wrestle with that for a moment. I mean, it's definitely a metaphor for many things. Um, uh, I mean, if you happen to have seen it, I mean, it, well, I would say to you guys listening, if by some chance you haven't watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, um, the Academy Award-winning uh, film from 2018... Uh, you know, go watch that, then come back, or better yet, go and listen to our episode where we also discuss that at length, um, because I think it would very much benefit you to have seen that film first. That said, I think you could potentially just go into this movie and, you know, just, I mean, it helps obviously to know a bit about Spider-Man first, but if you just go in, you know, looking for a superhero movie, this is like, almost like the ultimate superhero movie. And what I would say also, and I, I, I mean, I, we'll get into talking about the, the, the plot in a moment. Like, this almost feels like what I, you know, when we talked about Infinity War, this is like Infinity War if it was great, <laughs> like genuinely great. 
don't know if that makes sense with that. This is Crisis on Infinite Spider-Man. Ah, <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, that's a little better. I mean, yeah, it's all right. I guess it's that kind of molten super event uh, type of film that, um, especially, it, it puts into perspective just you know, like in the first movie, you know what it essentially means to be Spider-Man. But not just that, like, it's also about, like, facing your death and facing, like, mortality. Like, this is an extremely deep movie. Like, you know, it, 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 it wrestles with, like, questions of, you know, personal responsibility and, you know, what you can do to change your life or change, you know, and the fact that you can't change your own nature, that makes sense. Because, it, and I th and I think the key is Miles Morales. He he's just such a brilliantly created character, and he works in this story. I don't know if I'm making sense, Corey. If that's if you had those thoughts at all, you do make sense. <laughs> and yeah, I think this movie wrestles with a lot of the foundational questions of the genre. But I remember when the movie ended, you turned to me and said, this is the ultimate postmodern superhero movie. That too. Because on the one hand, I think this movie gets at the real core animating, like, questions of the entire ah, animating. genre. animating. <laughs> yeah, and it animates as it animates. So on the one <laughs> hand, I would say this... I say basic, but I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, on the one hand, I think this deals with some of the core questions that have animated superhero stories as long as we've had superhero stories. Right. So it gets at you're right, really core issues, but it also has this kind of meta spin on them. Yes. So, and it manages to do both. It manages to address these core issues while also having this layer of like meta commentary on the genre yeah. and it manages to do both it manages to both deliver a straightforward emotionally resonant story but also lampshade things comment on things spoof things and i think it's hard to do both yeah. and yeah. it does it, it's one of the most complex pieces of writing I, i've i've come across in like this century of film just as far as it layers, yeah, the commentary while still just having a great core group of characters. It's just, you know, when it comes, when you break everything down, Miles and the relationship with his mother, his father, it, it that is just so strongly written. And you get those characters and what Miles feels for his family and why it's like he can't tell them. Even though he, he really wants to, and you see like him wrestling with it. And and I won't say where that leads in the movie, but that ends up paying off in just a like really rich but disturbing way, ultimately. I don't know if I'm making sense, Matt, yes, if you had you any are. of those thoughts. I thought that it not only is well written, but also so well animated, like you can't separate out the visuals from this and still right. have it be satisfying in a way because they complement each other so well and even if like there's so many sight gags happening oh yeah the, it's like everything is so 
detailed than it's, this. You can go back and rewatch it, it and find background stuff it, in it. It's going to be amazing. It, in the words of the uh, producer of uh, The Phantom Menace in the immortal documentary on the making of that movie, it's it's so dense. Every shot has so much going on. <laughs> No, but you're absolutely right. And that, I mean, that obviously continues from the, fir the first movie. movie. Yeah, because yeah, that film was, you know, really groundbreaking in how it mixes animation styles in, a, in, in ways that, don't, that shouldn't work. It's like the backgrounds are at times like, a, like an abstract oil painting, and yet you put, like, animated characters on top of it but they still feel weighted um i'm thinking of like the scenes between um gwen stacy and uh, captain stacy yeah, like, like those scenes it's just like it's like where, i don't i don't know where those characters are in the room they're talking in but it doesn't matter yeah, the color temperature and symbolism just sucks you into the moment it's beautiful yes. yeah yeah it, it, i it, it's this movie is equal parts like going through like three or four different museums, like going through like every single minutia laden is issue of Spider-Man and, you know, and yet it still works as its own story. Like, and that's what I think is remarkable. I think if it, you know, cause we've had a lot of meta movies you know, as of late. I mean, even No Way Home, you know, to an extent, was also dealing with, like, let's let's bring in all these other characters from other Spider-Man stories. But this actually, I felt, was deeper. Oh, even than yes. that. Yeah. And I, and I like No Way Home. I liked it more than you did, Matt. But, like, I... But this one just... It's, like, the ultimate have-its-cake-and-eat-it <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, and I think another element of that have it cake and eat it too is it manages to be a very intimate character study, but it also feels incredibly epic. There are literally hundreds of spider people it, yeah, in it, this movie, but you never lose sight of the core characters. So yeah. this is another way that the movie really works on two levels that it shouldn't be able to work yeah. on, but yeah. it does. And not only that, it also, you know, and on top of, like, when we talk about, like, what it means to tell a superhero story, what it means to be, like, the hero of your story, so to speak, and to have, like, tragedy has to define you. And Or does it? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's like the movie is posing a question of like, well, yeah, sure. But it, it now I just had a reference pop in my head from Royal Tenenbaums of, uh, the own, you've seen the, I don't know if you've seen the clip Owen Wilson's like, so everyone knows that Custer, uh, lost the battle of Bighorn. What this book supposes is maybe he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get to spoilers. Come on. Let's just, yeah. I mean, well, to give you the bare thing of the plot, again, it's Miles Morales is back, Gwen Stacy is back, you know, they're discovering a lot more about the Spider-Verse, there's a character called The Spot, who is a consequence of the climax of the last movie, and he very desperately wants to be Spider-Man's arch-nemesis, and 
boy, he might get his wish. Did I sum up the, the movie in a way? Yes, and the Spider-Man 2099 tease from the end of the last movie becomes a major part of this. Ah, yes, yeah, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, the voice by Oscar Isaac. Um, Wait, who? he was in the last movie, too? Yeah. I didn't at, remember. In the, was, it, was that the post-credits? Yeah, that's the post-credits scene. What was the post-credits scene? I don't remember. Um, him and his hologram person were, were studying things, and then they said, okay, let's make the jump, and he jumps into the 1960s Spider-Man cartoon, and they point at each other. And... Yes. And, of course, <laughs> they have that joke again here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, I think we have to get into spoilers, because it's just one of those movies so if you haven't seen the movie and you are really concerned about that and you may want and if you're really interested in seeing this maybe you are so pause it right here the dupe all right so yeah so in this movie uh where to where to begin i mean i just uh well spot is kind of villain number one but he's not the only villain <coughs> no in a sense like Spider-Man 2099, Miguel, uh, what's his name? O'Hara. O'Hara, yeah, O'Hara. He's, he's kind of the villain, too. He's the villain, but he comes from kind no. of the Killmonger school of, like, understandable villainy. Yeah, he almost, in a way, like, Killmongery also, like, he almost reminded me of, like, a villain in a Pixar movie. Well, yeah, because we say he's another villain because earlier we mentioned that this movie really addresses the building blocks of the superhero story yes. and what do all superhero what do all superhero stories have in common some kind of animating tragedy to get the hero on his or her path yeah so this movie kind of lampshades the fact that every superhero's got like a dead parent yes. a dead girlfriend a dead, you know, a second de cousin that they're super fond of. A, a dead buddy. A dead captain of the police. And basically, it, it's revealed to Miles in this, uh, you know, really major set piece that, you know, it, these these events have to happen, you know, to define, you know, and if you don't let them happen, or if they don't happen, it's not necessarily let them happen. The characters don't know they're going to happen in their stories. So, you know, if, they, but if they don't, it will break the, you know, the chains that hold together the entire Spider-Verse. Yeah, these are called canon events. Canon, thank you. I want, I was trying to remember that. Yeah, canon events. And that's what, you know, is connecting the whole Spider-Verse in its network. And that's where, but of course, you know, Miles is told this and he's like, no, I'm not going to let my dad die just to have this, like, you know, thing take shape. And, you know, and so that all the spider people have to go after him. And it's, you know, just such a breathtaking, that whole scene, too, is when he's entering into the kind of HQ. What do they call that? Nueva York? Or yeah. something, yeah, and it's just <laughs> the the number of Easter eggs here. I mean, if you're just looking for a movie with the level of Easter eggs for Spider Man fans, it, I mean, there's even a horse Spider Man <laughs> who wears still a mask <laughs> because you know you don't want to know the horse's identity. 
Yeah, and so basically, <laughs> like you have this idea where we're told that superheroes rely on, and basically, we're told the story that each universe relies on these superheroes, and these yeah. superheroes will not exist without the motivating death yes. of someone in their immediate orbit. So... There's this idea that basically the entire universe hinges on these heroes suffering immense yeah. personal loss. Right. But these are all called secondary tragedy because they already have inspired people by then that this is like a secondary person to them having died. Like they've already gone through their Uncle Ben's or, or whatever. And they're right well, acting as spider people. Well, well, they not... don't need this to actually spur them on to being spider-ish. But I took the movie uh, that the reason why um, I took the movie to mean though that if those things hadn't happened, they wouldn't have been spider people. That's yeah. why they're called canon well, events. Well, that's what I mean though. If, yeah, if Uncle Ben doesn't die... You know, if if Peter Parker maybe makes it in time and saves him, if he, you know, it, or, or if he doesn't, for some other reason, he doesn't die in that moment, does he still become Spider-Man? I think that's a more foundational thing. I guess, what well, or you think, Matt, like there's a secondary tragedy? They're, they're talking about the secondary tragedy of, of Captain George Stacy being killed. In reference but, to the original Peter Parker right. and how that repeats itself across the other Spider-Men, but that by but that they also point they've already been Spider-Man. But but they also bring up Uncle Ben too, though they, they show Uncle... like the but they show like the yes. row of Uncle Bens like in hologram right, form. Right, but, but here the the um the big problem is whether or not to save the Captain Cap Police Captain guy in the story of Spider-Man after he's already been a Spider-Man. Hmm. So this is another point in talking about canon adaptations because if you're talking about Peter Parker himself, yes, George Stacy's death is an important foundational part of the Spider-Man mythos, but then you're talking all and then if you do an adaptation of Spider-Man if you take those things out, then maybe he's not really a Peter Parker Spider-Man. But now, by this uh, point, though, we have plenty of spider people who aren't necessarily Peter Parker. So, do they actually really need a death of a police captain in their uh, stories? Can't they be unique and have their own things going on with right. them? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And and I think like by the time they get to that point in the movie, though, I think what's what's so brilliant and like um, you know just really smart about the film, though, it builds up to that in a, it, like it doesn't start off with that that's not like the, in the first act turning point like they spent they give you so they do the work basically like they do the work of really building up Gwen Stacy and her dad like that's basically like the first like 15 minutes of the movie we don't even see Miles until the like 15 minutes into the thing and then it's a lot of Miles and his parents and how much he's you know, like any, you know, spy, good Spider-Man character or, you know, teenager in general, you know, laying down his parents. Also, and... Spot seems like a pretty light and funny villain when he's first introduced, because he's introduced incompetently trying to steal money from he's the so, ATM. He's a completely desperate fool. <laughs> and... And, and he so desperately wants to be the villain of this story, too. So, yeah. 
He has no gravitas. He's a total joke. He can't even steal money from an ATM. And when he fails to actually take money from the ATM itself, he basically tries to move the entire machine. But he can't even really do that. So he's introduced as this kind of bumbling joke villain. But by the end of the movie... (laughs) He's attained a much higher status. I love the spot. <laughs> yeah. So, so you were really psyched about the spot, Matt. Like, is the spot like? Um, I, I was vaguely aware of him as a villain. I, I almost confirmed like how the spot probably feels about himself by my knowledge. I mean, is he like? Has he been a character for a while in Spider-Man? Oh, he's been a character since the eighties. Oh. So why were you so hyped to see him in the movie? Because he's an obscure character who's totally, like, underestimated. <laughs> and were you satisfied with his treatment? I was very treat- satisfied <laughs> by how they treated him. Who was playing him? Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. Okay. Speaking of Wes Anderson, yeah. he And he he was a, he did a great job voicing him, too. A lot of the voice work in this, too, I should note, is just really, uh, like, it, it's, you know, you often think, like, oh, well, this person's just kind of stepping in you know, to do a voice role, you know, they kind of clocked in and punched in, punched out. But, like, they feel like the actors feel like they're really putting in the work here, you know? Like, even, um, I think the actress who played Miles's mom, I think that was, was that Lauren Villas? Yeah, it sounded like her. Yeah, she was great. And Oh, when you encountered Spot, was and like in the comics, was he more kind of like he is in the beginning of the movie, or was he like a higher tier villain? He's usually how he is in the beginning of the movie. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost like uh, Polka Dot Man. Kind of. <laughs> I meant in terms of the obscurity. Yeah, well, he was spots a little bit higher profile. Ah. Uh, yeah, well, it's. I feel like this is the kind of character that if they had tried to do him in a live action movie, it, it would have been really difficult. I don't know if it would have been impossible, but it really lends itself to animation. Like, he's... Like, just in general, this is kind of, like, one of the most innovative animated movies, like, I can think of. Like, this and Who Framed Roger Rabbit are almost, like, on the same playing field, in a way. Just, uh... You know, again, we already talked about that a little bit, but just... When he, when like Miles is being chased by all those spider people, it it is chaotic, and yet that is emblematic of what a lot of the action in this movie. Even though stuff is moving extremely quickly, stuff can seem very frenetic. You're never lost. Like the characterization is still always front and center. So even when, like, or for example, in when they're in the, the Indian setting, what was that called? Mumbatan. Mumbatan, yeah. Um, which is like the one of the first main example of when Miles kind of disrupts the, the canon event. event. Yeah. He, that, like, when he's uh, kind of falling at one point or going after to try to save a character, it's just, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like you, you, you feel like you're seeing something that you just haven't seen in a movie before. Yeah, well, um, one of, they have three directors for this movie, and one of them is Joaquin Dos Santos, and he's done a lot of animation stuff before. He's oh. done some JLU and oh, some uh, huh. Legend of Korra, and so like he's Ooh. got his chops in doing 
good action scenes. Yeah, and, shows. and then well, you know, it's interesting then that he's in the he has that side, and then the other person I noticed was uh, the other director is Kemp Powers, and he's um, interesting because he's more of from a dramatic background. Like he, I think he might have done some animation. I gotta double check, but he also wrote. I think the movie One Night in Miami. I, oh. Did you remember that? Oh yeah, that's the movie that. Um, it's with like Malcolm X and Regina Hall directed it. Yeah, yeah, that was he really didn't. Good. He didn't direct that, but he wrote it, and it's like that's almost basically like a play. Yeah, and you have someone like that coming in, um, and his storytelling skill, um. You know, and it's uh, and I think that's the emotional side of it that really clicks. I mean, talking about spoilers, though, like how like the moment when Miles reveals himself finally to his mom, you know, I'm Spider-Man, that when it suddenly comes out like, oh, I'm not in the correct universe. (laughs) My heart just sank. (laughs) Because Miles has really been put through the ringer in this movie. So you think finally near the end there's going to be a moment of relief no i knew that that was not coming <laughs> <laughs> they but they that was like a great example of how you know to use like the kind of comic book storytelling too into this like uh, you know because you're cutting between you know miles as he's trying to get back home you have gwen stacy and you know, when she finally has her heart-to-heart with uh, her dad and Peter Parker with his, you know, cute baby. Yeah, and the reason why he is sent to a different Earth is that he's the first anomaly because he was bitten from a spider from another dimension, which rearranges his DNA. So, basically, you're shipped back to your home dimension based on like a dna scan but his dna has been altered by the spider from the other dimension right that bit him so that's why he gets sent to earth 42 which has no peter parker no spider-man no spider pig no spider anything and it's become a pretty brutal place yeah yeah and and and, yeah and it's to the point where the very end of the movie is when he is face to face with that universe is Miles Morales, who is the Prowler, um, the character from you know, the, the first movie, who was his uncle. So, I mean, the, the shit gets deep, like I said. And But going back to what I was just saying, though, with as far as how it was cutting between those three parts leading up to the the sort of cliffhanger ending, it's just, I love how this movie takes on like real comic book storytelling and yet it's not it doesn't feel like oh the these filmmakers are like tryhards or something like you know this is going back you know 20 years but when ang lee did the hulk and people kind of ripped into him a little bit because he was you know having like the you know his the movie was shot to look like he, he wanted it to look like a comic book and have like a lot of the the shots look like panels. What did you think of that movie? I thought it was terrible, except for the scene transitions that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I mean I enjoyed those, but I it but it still it, it still but, felt to me like 
all right, Ang Lee's doing this because he thinks this is what a comic book looks like, and it's kind of a novelty, but I still don't feel like he's read many comic books. It's a gimmick, not something that's inter... I have a funny... You know this, Jack, but I have a funny story with the Ang Lee Hulk movie. I never saw it from beginning to end because we... Obviously, the movie's old enough that when we... I went to see it with my father and they were displaying it on film. The film broke about... I had seen more than half the movie, but the film broke... And they couldn't broadcast the rest, and we got a refund, and we left. And I didn't like the movie enough to it, ever finish a, it's it. It's a shame because you kind of missed, like, <laughs> near the end, Nick Nolte actually gets a lot of hammy moments, and it it almost gets to be kind of entertaining. I just Sam re- Elliott electrocutes him. It's hilarious. <laughs> I just remember the movie being boring. It I don't is. remember it's it. so dull. Yeah, it's not great. But I, I still, there's a part of me that enjoys that, but... I was going. The the this tangent is basically just to say, like, I just I really appreciate how this moves and is told. Like, you know, it is the it's probably the closest approximation to having a movie as a comic book uh, or comic book as a movie. Excuse me. And like, it but it but it feels really organic. Like it's it, it it and. You know, I want to pick up the next issue. God damn it! You're making me wait a year. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's not the comic booky nature of it. Isn't yeah. just a gimmick, awkwardly grafted. No. Onto it. And so we've talked a little bit about the spot, um, and you know what a fun, you know, fun villain he is. You know, it's kind of like a comment on, you know, I want to be your nemesis villains, and I'm creating the situation where I might, you know, really tear apart the fabric of space and time. But there's also, I want to talk a little bit about Miguel O'Hara, like, cause he's, he's a fascinating character. Cause he, and I think they're, they were laying a lot of groundwork in this movie that I'm guessing will pay off in the next one. Like, dude, I wonder if he really has a tragic backstory. Cause I don't think he does. Well, <laughs> I do not think he has a tragic backstory. I don't know. They all have tragic backstories. But there's something about him, like, or maybe he does, but I don't think, for like, I don't think, it just doesn't seem like an, he has an uncle who was killed or something. Well, he also has the burden of the fact that He's he, the only competent one? Well, no, yes. that he disintegrated a universe. Right. He has the moral burden of... <laughs> Basically, he replaced his doppelganger in another dimension. And you know he has a tragic past because he said in the movie, I found a dimension where I had a family. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I I get that part. There's just, I feel like there's still like more that we haven't learned about him. So, Does that make sense? Basically, when the version of him from the other dimension gets killed, he just takes his place. Right. There's but there's there's something that he he does this and he, that you that's probably there's a part of him that's very admirable and yet there's something very ruthless and cold. And it's like yeah, he has a bit of that killmonger factor where yeah, he's there's something about him where he's right but he's also just like chill the fuck out. You see where he's coming from. You do. But He's burdened with great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still the villain. 
He's the antagonist. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Yeah, the antagonist. And just also his scenes where he is telling Miles, you're a mistake. You're nothing. It's like, oh, you know, because that it hurts so much coming from him because he's like this character who has this standing and this like, you know, this story and, you know, and there's that part of Miles too, where he, you know, he, he only exists because of the spider coming from that other universe. So, and yet, you know, he defies, you know, that that's what makes him special. He defies the, the, the laws of space and time. (laughs) Basically. And I wish they let Oscar Isaac like bring the same intensity and gravitas to Moon Knight. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like this is a much better use of Oscar Isaac than Moon Knight. Man, Oscar Isaac really gets around with the genre properties, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. I'm just thinking Star Wars, X-Men Apocalypse was also like a waste of his talent. Moon Knight well, Star Wars wasn't a waste of his time. No. But I'm just saying he gets around. He does. Spider-Man, Star Wars, Moon Knight, um He's probably done other something X-Men. else I'm forgetting. He really In Lewin Davis. <laughs> Sucker Punch. He can check oh, around his eyes that. That was his breakthrough, actually. Yeah. Uh, and uh Yeah, and it's just yeah, his gravitas here is a real, I think it helps make the movie like a little more special than it already was, just because, like he his, like every a lot of the other voice work is you know really strong, but it's a lot more light. I mean, you know, like Jake Johnson as Peter Parker is on one level, and Oscar Isaac's at like another. Well, you need a strong vocal performance because Miguel doesn't get a lot of screen time because there's just so much going on in the rest of the movie. So you need someone who can make a strong impression in a short period yeah. of time. Yeah, and and yet, like, there are also this, like, these little moments with him, too. Like, right before he gets to telling Miles about the whole Spider-Verse when you're just seeing him react to... Uh, who's the punk rock Spider-Man, by the Spider-Punk. way? Spider-Punk. Oh, my God, Spider-Punk. So fucking cool. I loved him so much. He might have been my favorite. I didn't know he existed, and now I feel like, oh my god, I want to read more Spider-Punk. I really liked how he was animated and how in some scenes he was black and white, and in other scenes he was in color. I thought it was interesting. That's a a great example, yeah, of how he, he integrates seamlessly with all the rest of the characters, even though he's so out of place. That's like in the opening with... uh, like the Renaissance painter Vulture. He was awesome. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, there's a whole opening sequence with Vulture that just rocks. He, like, he's made of wood? Uh, parchment. Oh, parchment. Well, yeah, because he's from the Renaissance. <laughs> so. yeah. And he was, like, just chilling in his world and suddenly brought out into, like, the one with Gwen Stacy. And, yeah. Yeah, so, so fun. Um... I, was, I want to say some other things. I mean... Oh, Armadillo is in it. Who's Armadillo? He's the guy that Miles fights on the train tracks on the way getting... Oh! To- oh. <laughs> oh, he... Okay, I didn't know I, who that I was. didn't know who it was. Were you, I guess you're excited for him? Yeah. He looked like a Pokemon. Today. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I've never watched Pokemon, but yeah. I kind of know what they look like. Yeah. Oh, uh, among the in-jokes, um, I was like the one... I was laughing so hard when Donald Glover pops up 
And I don't mean an animated Donald Glover. I mean they have Donald Glover in the Spider-Verse. Uh, and he basically, like, Miles looks at him, he's like, it's not, it's not polite to stare. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, like, there was speculation when Donald Glover popped up for, like, five minutes in, um, uh, Homecoming. in Homecoming that he was going to be Miles Morales. No, and... well, he's, you know, because he, he's playing um, Aaron Davis. Well, so right. That he's, so he is the Prowler of that universe. Ah, or yeah. The ultimate Prowler. But what I'm saying, that, yeah, but, like, that... I, I feel like the filmmakers, that was kind of tipping their hand to, like, all the people who are wondering, like, what's going to happen with Don Glover? Well, here he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's not the Prowler, but he's here no, anyway. He's the Prowler in that. He's the Prowler of, like, that particular oh, universe. Oh. All right, I misunderstood that. I thought he was playing another character. No, but and see this movie has multiple prowlers because the spider punk is is hobie brown and hobie brown is the main universe prowler as opposed to oh really oh i didn't realize that oh that's why he's edgy yeah (laughs) Um, yeah he's the one who respects when miles decides to like break out and go back to his universe he kind of gives this look like all right It's just like that's this movie is so special because it's like it's so funny, it, it's it's giving you so it's giving you a lot to laugh at. But then, you know, when it has to get like, you know, very serious, it can do that without like going into like histrionics or anything. I mean, I, I, it's like this. This is the kind of movie where. I want to show this to people who think like, well, you can't take comic books, you know, very seriously, like as art. I'm like, no, no, this is like, I, I feel like Samuel Jackson on Unbreakable. I would point at this. I'm like, this is a piece of art. <laughs> he has a he has a moment in that where he does that. That put that came in my mind. Um, were were there other things that you were wanted to say, Matt? Or? Um, I, like- got J. Jonah Jameson in it, a few variations of him, so it makes up for my Triple J criteria of being a good Spider-Man movie. (laughs) Including in, was he also in Lego form? Yeah, there's a Lego uh, version, which, you know, it's also Lord and Miller, by the way, so you know, I wasn't surprised by that. Let's take a moment of mourning for the Lego Batman sequel we will never get. Tear. Yeah. No yeah. more Lego movies. Very well, sad. Well, maybe we could get a Lego Spider-Man if we're lucky. I want more Lego movies. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were deprived of more of the uh, adventures of Lego Batman, Lego Robin. You don't have to have Barbie movies and sell for that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, the Barbie movie will be good, but it's no Lego movie. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I'm, I just, I, I'm having trouble coming up with more things right, to well, say. Alright, well then we can wrap it up. Yeah, because I, I, this is the kind of movie I want to see again because there's just, again, there's a lot of just visual things. By, oh, the the soundtrack is really wonderful. It's, you know, very modern music. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I just, it, it's, this movie's alive. You know, it makes me feel like alive, like watching a movie like this. And, you know, and, and it's just, it, yeah. 
So brilliant. So I'll, I'll just wrap it up by saying, you know, across the Spireverse, it's lit. It's a masterpiece. Go see it. Incredible movie. Sensational. Sensational. You know. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, friendly neighborhood. Yeah, friendly neighborhood. <laughs> Web of. It's it's responsible. Ultimate. <laughs> Not so sinister. Although we'll see. Superior. Superior. That's the word I was looking for. It's yeah. a superior movie. If you guys have uh, seen this, uh, please let us know in uh, the comments. Uh, you know, we are on Instagram. We're on the social medias. Matt, where can you be found? I can be found on my blog, mattthecatania.wordpress.com. Yes, and I hope to see, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be even more spider minutia there. Because with great power comes great blogs. <laughs> and um, when we come back next time... Um, we'll be talking about a movie. We'll be talking about a movie. Um, maybe it'll have a multiverse, maybe not. We'll see. You know, you can't... You throw a rock now, you hit a multiverse. Um, so, until next time, I'm Jack. I am Trash Panda Corey. And I'm Matt. And the wages of cinema are thwips. Hugs! <laughs> Good night, everybody.